right. Well, come on back and uh, have a seat. And then we want you to open your Bible here. Open up your Bible to chapter 36 of the book of Job. But before we begin, two announcements. One, remember, we have a resource table downstairs with some awesome books. And uh, Kelly and Autumn uh, will help us if you want to buy some after. Uh, They go for cost. They're amazing books, uh, great resources. So go down there and take a look. And here's another announcement. It's Brianna's birthday. Who else, who else has a, anybody else have a birthday close here? When? What? Saturday. What do you prefer to be called? How do you, what's your, what do you go by first name? Okay, do you go by Jessica or Jess? Okay, that's what I'm, okay, Jessica. So we're going to go Brianna, Jessica, since it's today, Saturday. Happy birthday. Ready? Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Brianna and Jessica. Happy birthday to you. Well, Al's is open till 10. You could take Brianna and Jessica and get them an ice cream cone, and I think they'd be happy. We'll be done about 10 till 10, so we'll be perfect. Okay, let's do this. Chapter 36, the book of uh, Job. As I was driving here very fast, don't tell the police, as I was driving here very fast, uh, coming from downtown, trying to get here on time, I was thinking to myself how misunderstood the book of Job is. It is... I guess not the way American think, Americans think. We want bullet points. I want to know this and how to react in this situation. And if this happens, how do I react in that situation? And one of the great, fascinating, wonderful, glorious things about the book of Job is God never allows you to do it that way. He lets you sit sometimes in the questions. Who here likes to sit in the questions? Right, you don't because you're American and you like to be fast food fed and fast, uh, you know, gratified on TV and get, you know, cable and 400 channels and there's nothing on and we can't be happy, right? But Lord wants us to think. I know that's a bad phrase nowadays, but he wants us to think, not just Google everything and know. He wants to think and get you to know something deep down in your soul. And I just have a different role than some of you sitting here. I'm not better or anything like that. I just have a different role. And when I am in this seat, or if you're in this seat, you get the questions Job asks every week. Why is God doing this to me? Is God even just? They might not use the word just, but that's what they're saying. Why doesn't he just tell me? If he just told me I could figure it out and go on and move, you know, and I'd, be, I'd feel more comfortable about this. What? And the Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians 5, I'm saying that because I love that chapter. <laughs> I think in verse 7, we walk by faith, not by sight. And someday we're going to walk by sight. <laughs> you're like, what? Well, when you get to heaven, you're going to, be face-to-face with the Lord. But until then, we walk by faith, not by sight, right? So as that as a backdrop, remember, this is one of the greatest men of the East, the Bible tells us. This is a great man, Job. And he's not privy to the first two chapters of the book where God and Satan dialogue about Job. And God says, you know, if you have you ever considered my, my man Job here and... Satan says, well, yeah, that's all fine and good. He's a good little boy, except for if you'd let me take some stuff from him, we'll see how good he is. And God allows that to happen, and he loses family and wealth and occupation. And after that, he, he, he does something extraordinary, Job does. He worships. And Satan says, well, if you'd let me touch his body, if you'd let me do something to him, he'll curse you. And so the Lord says, okay, but you can't kill him, and it happens. He's struck with all these maladies, some significant stuff. 
And we go through the entire book where these three friends come and sit with him on the ash heap, the dung heap. And they, are, they start out great, don't they? They just sit and listen for seven days. But then they just can't help themselves. And they offer these theological prepackaged sermonettes that contain lots of truth about the justice of God. The problem for them is they don't factor in the love and the mercy of God. And they go through three cycles of this, except for in the third cycle, instead of a guy named Zophar finishing off the cycle, there's a guy guy named Elihu, who we started last week, his argument towards Job, his talk towards Job. And remember, he had some amazing truths to say. The things that Job's three friends were saying is, you have a hidden sin, and if you just admit it, everything will be great. Elihu doesn't do that. Elihu says, I'm paraphrasing, he doesn't address a hidden sin, but he says, in your suffering, you're sinning. You're not suffering because you've sinned, that's what the other three said, but in your suffering, you have become, uh, you've overreached in your arguments to and uh, about God. In fact, you've said that God's not just, and now I want you to see this. We're going to go through chapter 36 and 37 very quickly. Chapter 36 and 37 is the remaining portion of Elihu's proclamation towards Job. And he does an amazing thing here in 36 and 37. He tells of the greatness of God and the glory of God. Elihu, verse 1, chapter 36 proceeded and said, hey, bear with me, and I'm going to show you that there are words yet to speak on God's behalf. I'm going to fetch, I will fetch my knowledge from afar. I will ascribe righteousness to my maker, for truly my words are not false. One who is perfect in knowledge is with you. Now, a lot of commentators right there go, man, oh man, oh man, is Elihu cocky. He's an arrogant dude. He's saying he's perfect in knowledge. I don't think that's what he's saying. Because if you look over at chapter 37, verse 16, he talks about how the clouds are balanced, the wonderful works of him who is perfect in knowledge. He's speaking of God. I think what Elihu's saying here is, I'm getting my words from the one who is perfect. But anyway, he says this. And if you read through this, and we're going to go very fast, and we're going to skip some of the verses, so I'm going to ask you to read it for yourself. In in verse 5 here of chapter 36, he says, Behold, God is mighty, but despises no one. (laughs) He is mighty in strength. He does not preserve the life of the wicked, but gives justice to the oppressed. Now remember, this had been the big theme with... um, Uh, Job. He was wondering where the justice was. Why do wicked people keep prospering? And I don't, because I know I don't have any hidden sin, he kept thinking to himself. No, verse 7, Elihu says, he doesn't withdraw his eyes from the righteous, but they're on the throne of kings. He even looks at what kings are doing. For he has seated them forever, and they are exalted. And if they are bound in fetters, held in the cords of affliction, then he tells them their work and their transgressions, that they have acted defiantly. He also opens their ear to instruction and commands that they turn from iniquity. If they obey and serve him, they'll spend their days in prosperity and their years in pleasure. But if they don't obey, they'll perish, they shall perish by the sword and die without knowledge. Verse 13, but the hypocrites in heart store up wrath. They do not cry for help when he binds them. They die in youth, and their life ends among the perverted persons. He Now, here's something key. I've been reading kind of fast. Sorry, I know I do that. But in verse 15 here, I, there's something that's staggering and astounding. And you and I and we should recognize this because, folks, I have a, something to tell you. If you live in this world as a follower of Jesus Christ, there will be... Tribulation will be. And we've gone over ad nauseum, although how could you go over the word of God ad nauseum? We've gone over time and again that suffering 
the world thinks is bad, for Christians, suffering isn't bad. Do I pray that I'd suffer all the time? No, but I do pray that I'd enter in to the fellowship of Jesus Christ. And if that means suffering, then yes, Lord. Because suffering produces faith that's better or greater than gold that the scriptures tell us. And it's producing in us Christ-likeness because we're fellowshipping with him. But he tells us something astounding here in verse 15, something that helps us in our affliction or trial or sickness. Here it comes. He delivers the poor in their affliction. And it really kind of means, if you look at it in the Hebrew, he delivers the poor through their affliction. In other words, he doesn't just take away the affliction, but will deliver you through the affliction. And watch this. Check this out. If you're wondering, and he opens their ears in oppression. In other words, the Lord speaks to people and uses suffering to open our clouded ears, if you'll pay attention. And the question becomes, do you close off your hearing or uh, thinking towards suffering just because we think it's quote-unquote bad? or uncomfortable. Well, if you'll open up your ears, the Lord's going to bring you through affliction and open up your ears in the oppression. There's something valuable that the Lord wants to do and speak to you through his word in these times of trouble. Indeed, he would have brought you out of dire distress, listen to this, into a broad place where there is no restraint. (laughs) See, when we get into trial, we think we're compressed in a box, can't get out, we're in a maze, we're trapped, we're spiritually claustrophobic. But if you'll think in the way that God wants you to think, that he's there in the suffering and he'll deliver you through, not out of, and he'll open your ears to what he's trying to do. Listen to this, he's going to make you free. I want you to hear that so much. I want, do you think, do you know who has to be one of the most free persons on the face of the earth is Johnny Erickson Tada, and she's confined to a wheelchair, but she is free. God has taken her out into a broad place. Her spirit soars with God, S-O-A-R-S. And that's what the Lord wants to do with us. There's things that he'll, he'll, places he'll take you. And ultimately, this promise comes true in heaven, where there's no restraints at all. Well, what is this as we keep going? And what is set on your table would be full of riches, but you are filled with the judgment due the wicked. Judgment and justice take hold of you because there is wrath. How uh, beware lest he take you away with one blow, for a large ransom would not help you avoid it. And now look what he says. In your affliction, be careful. Here comes four be carefuls. You ready for them? Be careful about your riches. Will your riches or all the mighty forces keep you from distress? What do you think the answer to that is? Not at all. (laughs) You get Lou Gehrig's disease for instance, you could have 20 bazillion gazillion dollars. They currently don't have a cure for that. So if you're depending upon riches in the middle of the trial, it's not going to work. Do not desire the night when people are cut off in their place. Two, here's another thing that he says, don't give up in the middle of affliction. Don't be cut off. Stay with it. Keep going. Put one foot in front of the other if that's what you need to do. Here, keep going. Take 21. Take heed. Don't turn to iniquity. How do your ears get open up? Don't depend on riches. Don't give up. And watch this. Don't take to the bottle or drugs or sex or rock and roll when you're, or whatever it is, when you're in the middle of an affliction. Look for what the Lord is going to do. Set your mind on things above. Who here? has done one of those things. I'm the chief of that without the Lord. Oh, I'd just rather, no, 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 no. Look for the Lord to open up your ears in the middle of it. Behold, God is exalted, verse 22, by his power. Who 
teaches like him? Uh, who has assigned him his way? Or who has, a said you, or who has said you have done wrong? Remember to magnify his work of which men have sung. In the middle of suffering, look at this. Don't depend on riches or resources. Of course, be wise about them, but don't depend on them. Don't give up. Don't backslide. And look at this. In the middle of it, magnify his holy name. And guess what's going to happen? Your ears are going to be opened to the things of the Lord. Well, then you go on, and Elihu keeps talking. Everyone has seen it. Man looks on it from afar, verse 26. Behold, God is great, and we don't know him, nor can the number of his years be discovered. For he draws up drops of water, which distill his rain from the mist, which the clouds drop down. You can keep reading this. He just keeps saying, God is great beyond total understanding. Verse 32, he covers his hands with lightning and commands it to strike. Isn't that beautiful? His thunder declares it. The cattle also concerning the rising storm. Now look at this, chapter 37. Elihu still talking in the middle, apparently, of a thunderstorm. We just had one about an hour and a half ago. It was, I was downtown looking out my window. It was pretty gnarly. Lightning everywhere. In the middle of this, at this also, my heart trembles and leaps from its place. I hear attentively the thunder of his voice and the rumbling that comes from his mouth. He sends it forth under the whole of heaven. His lightning to the ends of the earth, after a voice, after it, a voice roars, he thunders with his majestic voice, and he does not restrain them when his voice is heard. Verse 5, God thunders marvelously with his voice. He does great things which we can't comprehend. For he says to the snow, fall on the earth, and to the rain, the heavy rain. He seals the hand of every man that all men may know his work. The beasts go into dens and remain in their lairs. This is, by the way, he's going through right now. Autumn, autumn, he's going through winter in verses 8 and 9. The beasts go into their dens. From the chamber of the south comes the whirlwind and cold from the scattering winds of the north. By the breath of God, ice is given and the broad waters are frozen. Also with moisture, he saturates the thick clouds and he scatters his bright clouds and they swirl about being turned by his guidance. That's fascinating, folks, because you all have a weather app. And you watch the weather, and you go, oh, can I go to the picnic or play golf today? And you see the swirling clouds on a weather map, and this is the oldest book in the Bible. And here, Job knew about swirling clouds. Isn't that fascinating? They swirl about being turned by his guidance. That's remarkable, that they may do whatever he commands them. God even commands the weather on the face of the whole earth. He causes it to come. Weather for correction, and now we're into spring or for his land, or for mercy. Listen to this, O Job, or O Job, sorry. Stand still and consider the wondrous works of God. Now, 14 through 24 is to prove that no humans could control weather or storms or lightning, but God does. And then look down, so 14 to 24, all of that. Look down in verse 22, he comes from the north as golden splendor, with God his awesome majesty. As for the Almighty, we cannot find him. Elihu is kind of saying the same thing that Job has been saying all throughout this first part. If I could only find God, I'd be okay. And here, Elihu says, well, as for the Almighty, we cannot find him. He's excellent in power, in judgment, and abundant justice. He does not oppress Therefore, men fear him. He shows no partiality to any who are wise of heart. Now, you, you didn't catch that. See, if we serve, if we think in human terms, if we serve somebody so omnipotent and so powerful, well, they would rule with an iron fist. If you had all the power and all the omnipotence, wouldn't you rule with an iron fist? Most people would. Maybe not you, but most people would. You see it out in the news and in corporate life all the time. I want you to see something. Elihu goes through here, and then he says, this one who's the greatest of all, and yet he does not oppress. You serve a God who can be awesome because his wrath must be poured out against sin, and yet for those who he's drawing and wooing, he does not oppress. A tender reed he wouldn't bend in half and break, 
a smoldering wick, he doesn't snuff out, the Bible tells us. Isn't that beautiful? Well, now, look, Elihu's gone. He's off the scene. In fact, God's not even going to mention him or anybody else for the last several chapters, but watch this. Then, verse 1 of chapter 38, the Lord answered Job. <laughs> oh, are you the only one that's, other, or excuse me, my, is my wife the only one that's excited because she's been saying how long have we been going through these middle parts of Job? Well, we should be excited. Look at here. The Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind. It's finally in verse 20 or chapter 23, verse 3, he said, Oh, that I may know where he is or where I can find him in 23, 3. And here the Lord has been listening. And he answers Job. You know how amazing that is? Remember when Moses, who's still yet to come in time, and his story? Remember when Moses. And, and all of them, you know, would say things like, yeah, yeah, I'd just like to, you know, talk to you a little bit. And the Lord says, no, 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 no. If I appear to you, man, I'm going to have to just put you in the cleft of the rock, and you're just going to have to see the back side of my glory tra- trailings coming, and that would even be tough. But here the Lord answers Job out of the whirlwind. He speaks out of the storm. Folks, come on. He speaks out of the storm. Remember with Elijah, he spoke to Elijah. There was an earthquake going on and winds were raging and, oh, it was awful and terrible. And it says that the Lord spoke to him in a still, small voice. Here, the Lord answered Job out of the storm, the whirlwind, and said, who is this? Now, i got to stop right there. Is this fascinating or what? Over the next couple of chapters, God is going to ask 77 questions of Job. Oh, man, I love that. I love it when people come to me and ask me Bible questions. I love it. I love to talk to them and stuff. But you know, one of the things I like to do is ask them a question back. Why? Because if we just force feed you everything, you're not really going to know it. The Lord here as he finally has been sitting there listening, he knows what Job's been saying and thinking. And one thing that Job has been attacking of God, he's been attacking God's justice. This isn't fair. Oof. How many times have people said this isn't fair? I said it. God says this, and I, by the way, don't think God is saying it in the way in which I would read it. Who is he who darkens counsel by words without knowledge? No, you know what? When your kid is growing up, if you're your parent here, a lot of times they want to do stuff. (laughs) And yeah, you tell them point blank, no, they can't do that. But some of the times what you do with them is you ask them questions. Well, honey, why would I say... I don't want you to put your two fingers that you just licked in the light socket. Now, why would I say that? Or if it's something less serious than that, maybe you even say, well, why don't you go over and try it? Not that, of course. Because you want them to learn for themselves, and the way in which you say it to them isn't like, hey, you idiot. No, you, you say it lovingly. Now, why would we not want to do that? And you talk to them that way. I think that's the way the Lord's doing this. But the Lord asks 77 questions, and you know what they're all designed to do? In the right and healthy way. Show us, or show Job, his inability to live life without God. You see, because I don't think God wants these answers, or this answer from Job, Like, for instance, who shut the sea with the doors, Job? I don't think God wants this answer. I don't know. I think the answer he wants is, oh, I certainly couldn't do it, but you can. And I think that's the answer he wants from all of them. And here he says, first, who is this who darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Again, I don't think he's saying it in a mean way. I think he's saying, hey, you don't get or understand or know what you're talking about, Job. 
then he says, this, this is very interesting, prepare yourself like a man. That actually means gird yourself up. We're, getting, we're going to get ready to do something that's vigorous and strenuous in the best possible way. I'm going to teach you something here, but you have to gird yourself up. You got to get ready because you're going to learn a lot right here. Man, that's such a great word for a congregation. We want to come in and have the pastor do all the work. And yes, the pastor should study and do well and be able to explain the scriptures. But guess what? We should do this stuff for ourselves too. And here he says, gird yourself up. I'm going to question you and you shall answer me. In other words, do you remember that all through that middle section that my wife didn't like? No, it's a joke. She did like it. It's a joke. Okay, come on, relax. It's a joke, folks. We've been laughing about this all week, so it's been fun at our house. But remember all through this section, and it's just over and over again, and I agree with her. It was just over and over again. You're like, what, what are you doing here? What, why do you keep doing this? Why is this in here, Lord? Job all the time was using legal language, like real legal language, like he was in a courtroom, and the Lord's turning it back on him. He's saying, wait a second, I'm going to question you now. I've let you question me for all this time. 30-some verses or chapters, I'm going to question you. And here comes the questions. Amazing. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? What, what, would, what would you say if the Lord said that to you? Now think about it. You just walked in, the boss says, you're fired. What do you mean I'm fired? They're the ones that did the mistake. What do you mean I'm fired? Or you walk in and you find out you have some, I don't know, congenital heart defect and it's looking bleak. Or whatever. And you start to say things like this. Why, God? I mean, come on, I'm your favorite. <laughs> or this is so unfair. You ever said stuff like that? I've said stuff like that. And here he's saying, listen, and I think he's saying it in a loving way. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Can you imagine hearing that? from the Lord after have been given some bad news, it right there, just the first of one question changes your perspective. Shoot, you laid the foundations of the earth? I mean, you put it, and, and this is talking in contracting language here, you built this and you built that, and you had the capacity and the ability to do that. You know one of the things that you might think, wow, you're sovereign, and you know what's best for me. What a different perspective. And he says that. Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you shall know. Who stretched out the, the line upon it to where, uh, to what were its foundations fastened? Or who laid its cornerstone? Now, this is beautiful. When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. Many people believe that morning stars and sons of God is a reference to the angels. In other words... While God was working, you ever done this? Who here, when they're working, loves to put on praise music? Well, here it is in the ultimate way, folks. While God is making and creating the earth, he says that all of the angels were shouting praise. Wow. That gives a different perspective to my problem. And it also as a believer in Jesus Christ tells me that eternity with him is better than anything I could ever ask for or hope for. It's wonderful. Well, here they're singing in the background or they're shouting for joy or who shut in the sea in verses 8 through 11 where they consider the sea, the sea with the doors when it burst forth and issued from the womb. When I made the clouds its garment in thick darkness, its swaddling band. When I fixed my limit and set bars, then I said, this far you may come, but no farther. Isn't that a, what a great way of saying it? The Lord said to the seas, you go down to the beach, you love the beach. You go out to Hawaii, little islands out there, it can only come this far and no more. And the Lord said that. And here your proud waves must stop. Now, what is this talking about? Some people believe, look, the first thing he, that he talked about was the creation of earth. 
earth, earthly things, and God is uh, sovereign over those. Of course, he's uh, uh, sovereign over creation. Uh, this other one, next ver- or piece of scripture, 8 through 11, about the sea. See, the sea is about chaos, is a symbol of chaos and uh, uh, sin in the world, because you can look at uh, other passages in the Old Testament. And so, uh, uh, not only do you have the plain meaning of what God is saying here, he fixed the sea, but it's also representative of uh, uh, the earth system of thinking and the chaos that's set up in the earth. I hope I didn't lose you right then. Now, if you go to 12 and 15, he says, well, have you considered the sun? Have you commanded the morning since your days began and caused the dawn to know its place? Can you imagine Job said, no, I never did that, but you have, Lord. You see how it turns his perspective? And the wicked, or that it might take hold of the ends of the earth, and the wicked be shaken out of it. It takes on form like clay under a steel and sands out like a garment. From the wicked their light is withheld, and he, the upraised arm is broken. And now, look at this, 16 through 24. The next 11 questions... Are uh, about the vast dimensions of creation here, including the realm of the dead. Look at this in verse 16 or 17. Well, 16, have you entered the springs of the sea? Have you walked in search of the depths? You know, I think the deepest they've ever measured the open or the ocean, this is incredible. I, I almost find this hard to believe, but that's what they say, is 6.8 miles down. The sea is 6.8 miles down, folks, in one spot. And he's saying, you've never been down there, but I have. Have the gates of death been revealed to you, or have you been the doors, or have you seen the doors of the shadow of death? Now remember, this is in response, um, or this is what God is saying to what Job has said and his friends have said, and seems like Job and his friends have talked about soul sleep earlier in the chapter. In fact, some people, like Jehovah's Witness, of which my dad was one for a long time, believe that nothing happens to you after you die, just kind of exists. Sleep. What God says back to Job is, that's nonsense. You know nothing about death. Don't believe that there's soul sleep. The Bible tells us when we die, we go to be with the Lord. Boom, boom, boom. To be absent there is to be present with him. Have the gates of death been revealed to you, or have you seen the doors of the shadows of death? In other words, Job, you don't know what you're talking about with respect to death, but I do. And it speaks now of going down there and being in that realm, folks, Who was in that realm of death? He really died. He really, really died, Jesus Christ, and he defeated death. Have you comprehended, verse 18, the breadth of the earth? Tell me if you know all this. Where is the way to the dwelling of light and darkness where it's placed? That you may take it to its territory, that you may know the path to home. Do you know it because you were born then or because the number of your days is great? In other words, you don't know. I've always existed. Now, think of this. All this speaks of a proper and purposeful account of creation in which their material and physical and chemical and biochemical regularities, they're sometimes called the physical or natural laws. But there's also, isn't this interesting, moral, social, relational laws, that justice is at the heart of. How can this be? Man can't just do that. God does that. You see, that's the point. And then you go on. Look, have you, verse 22, have you entered the treasury of snow? And then you go down to verse 25. What about the rain? How about down in verse 30? How does ice happen? And that is a good question. I know that the, come on, folks, I know why Ice happens, but how? I mean, how did he come up with this? Anyway, that blows me away. And then he goes on and he says, well, you could even talk about the, the, the constellations, Pleiades, Orion, 
And all these others, the great bear, it was also mentioned in 9.9. Do you, he says, know the ordinances? Can you set their dominion over the earth? And the answer from Job is, no, I can't, but you can, God. Can you lift up your voice to the clouds, verse 34? Can you send out lightnings and say to you, here we are? Who has put wisdom in the mind? Isn't that fascinating? How does wisdom get in here, folks? Think about that. How does wisdom get in there? How do you know and can understand? I know, you, you know, two, t- two plus two. I mean, I know it, but then we can teach it and it gets in here, right? That's amazing. Or, or whatever you learn. Well, keep going. And he just sends a, a, a number of things. Look at down in verse 39. Can you hunt the prey for the lion or satisfy the appetite of the young lions when they crouch in the dens? No, but I've worked all of that out in nature, God says. Look in chapter 39. Do you know the time when the mountain goats bear young, or can you mark when the deer gives birth? Do you know about birth uh, processes for all the animals? Can you number the months that they fulfill, etc.? Or do you know the time when they bear young? Look at that. Isn't that interesting? (laughs) Think about it. Listen, time out. We're sitting here, and we're like, yeah, yeah, I I get it. You know, just typical, uh, you know, teaching on Job. But look. Here's a guy that suffered. He's lost his kids, his home, his house. His friends are jerks. He's sitting there in the dunghill, the place of refuge or refuse. <laughs> He's scraping himself. He smells. His breath is terrible. <laughs> and finally, God speaks. Think of it. And he goes, I ain't giving you the boiler points. He asks him 77 questions to awake in in him this thing that God is sovereign and all-knowing and all-wise and all-powerful and all-present and all-everything, and we're not. So if this is the case, watch this, he must, even in this, have purposes and plans. Wow. I wouldn't have done this. I would have given, I would have handed out the bullet point. Here, I feel sorry for you, here. And he does feel sorry for him, but he wants him to learn at the gut level down in here. He wants him to learn and to know and to grow with him together. Isn't that beautiful? He doesn't just want regurgitation. Oh, praise the Lord, brother. I'll pray for you. Let's praise him. He wants real, down in the dust, gospel living in partnership with him. He wants us to walk with him and talk with him. And here, he just goes through all these different animals. Look over in nine. Would the wild ox be willing to serve you? Will he bed by your manger? Can you bind the wild ox? Of course not. And then there's this crazy thing. The wings of the ostrich wave proudly. Catch this. An ostrich can't fly. Is that right? Ostrich can't. He just flaps his wings And our tendency, at least mine is, is to look at an ostrich and go, well, that's dumb. A big old thing can't even fly. What's the purpose of him? You get it? And God says, watch this, they flap, but are wings and pinions like the kindly storks, for she leaves her, she even leaves her eggs on the ground and warms in the dust. So stupid. Don't, that's what I think. She forgets that a foot may crush them. What's she doing? I say. Or that a wild beast may break. She treats her young harshly as though they were not hers, but her labor is in vain. What do you say when you think those things? Why? What are you doing here, Lord? Because God deprived her of wisdom and did not endow her with understanding. We think we know what love and compassion is all about, but we don't. And he's saying here, there are things here that sometimes here you don't know. You walk by faith, not by sight currently. I don't think God's being mean like I'm kind of shouting here. (laughs) I think what he's saying is I've done all these things in perfect order, in loving, compassionate order. Sometimes you're not going to know because you just see everything darkly now. But there's going to come a time where you're going to be face-to-face with me and you're going to see clearly and you'll understand these things and don't worry about it. I've got it. I think that's what the Lord's saying here. 
Can you imagine he's asking all these questions? Have you seen the horse's strength in verse 19? The paws in the valley rejoices in his strength. Verse 21, he gallops into a clash of arms. And he talks about all this different thing that the horse does at battle. He smells in verse 25 the battle from afar. The hawk flies by your wisdom and spreads its wing toward the south. Does he do it by your wisdom, Job? No. I know the migratory. I've put migratory patterns in birds, God says. Now you're going, okay, come on. Come on. You see, but I don't know that you want to say, come on. By the way, Psalm 145 says, you open your hand and satisfy the desire of every living thing. But I don't know that we want to say, come on, at what the response of God. Here's why. I can't say it any better than Warren Wearsby, so I'm not going to try. Watch this. I want you to think of what your problem is right now, your trial. Okay, got it? Everybody got it? Listen to what Warren Wearsby says about this portion of Scripture. The answer to Job's problems is not an explanation from from God like his friends did. The answer to Job's problems is a revelation of God. You want me to say that again? Okay. The answer to Job's problems is not an explanation from God like his friends did, three miserable friends. The answer to Job's problem is that he needs a revelation of God. Man, I'm so convinced that's what we need. How about this? Dr. Paul Tournier, in his book, Guilt and Grace, wrote this. For God's answer is not an idea, a proposition, like the conclusion of a theorem. It is himself. He revealed himself to Job, and Job finally found personal contact with God, which is what he'd been asking for. You you catching that? I want you to think about your problem. You're just saying, Lord, if you just tell me the bullet points here of theology, like the friends, just give me the bullet points. And Warren Wearsby here, Dr. Paul Tournier is saying, no, 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 you're not getting it. It's not about a paradigm or seven keys to happiness. Oh, that burns me up when I see those books around. It's about a revelation of God, not from God. It's him. He's the answer. And that's what he's trying to say. He's saying, trust me, you're my kid, Job. Trust me, you're my kid. And there's some things that you've been doing. You've been telling me that you know better than I do. You know better than I do. And what I'm trying to tell you, Job, is that you don't. And I want you to know it. And here I come with all these questions. Well, you can keep going in the last end or last bit of chapter 39, but we get to something astounding here in chapter 40. The Lord answers again. The Lord answered Job and said, Shall the one who contends with the Almighty correct him? (laughs) Do you know how unbelievable? That's coming from the lips of God. Shall the one who contends with the Almighty correct him? In other words, Job, you've been a fault finder with me. (sighs) Folks, that's American Christianity right there. That is American Christianity. You've been a fault finder with me. God says this. I have absolutely, God says, positively made no mistakes in your life, Job. No way. You've you've found fault with me. He who rebukes God, let him answer it. And again, this is legal language. Then Job answered to the Lord and said, Behold, I am vile. Now that's a funny word. In the Hebrew, in the Hebrew there, it means I'm of little weight. I'm of little weight. 
When I compare myself and see you, Lord, I recognize that I'm of little weight. You know one of the great things that the Bible does for you? One of the great things that the Bible does for you is it shows you who you are and I am. And here, when we see God in all of his glory and majesty, when we finally have a revelation of God, we can come and say, we're people of little weight. Isaiah did it. Oh, my goodness. I'm totally undone when I look at you, Lord. Isaiah chapter 6. I'm undone. God bless you. Behold, I'm of little weight. And see, when we get to that place, when we start to get to that place, you know what we want to do? We want to throw our weight around. We want to fix all the situations. Oh, geez, you know, I'm a pretty smart guy. I went to law school, so I can get through this. Huh, that's the problem? Okay, if I do that, 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 and that, I'm sure that'll be the outcome. You ever done that? And then by the time you get to step two, it's just a complete and utter wreck. Here he says, when we come and we recognize that we're of little weight in the right, healthy way, and we say to him, Lord, I can't answer you. I have no answer for you. In fact, I laid my hand over my mouth, he says. I spoke once, but I, I'm not going to answer again. And I did it twice, but I'm not going to do it anymore. I mean, I, I'm, I'm not going to say anything because I've been quick to speak and slow to hear. And James tells us to be slow to hear and quick, or, or quick to hear and slow to speak. Be really aggressive and good in our hearing, but shut this thing up a little bit. See, the more this thing happens, the more we get into that part where we say, Lord, I just don't think it's that fair. <laughs> then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind. Did you notice that? Out of the storm again, Job answers. Or the Lord answers Job out of the storm. Do you notice that? Prepare yourself like a man. He tells him again, we're going to go at it again in the good way. We're going to do some vigorous teaching here, and you're going to think about it and grow. I'm going to question you, and you're going to answer me. Would you indeed annul my judgment? Are you, in other words, are you questioning my judgment? That's what God asked Job. Isn't that astounding? Would you condemn me that you may be justified? You're condemning me so that you would feel like you have been justified. Oh, that's what we do. That's such American Christianity. Lord, Lord, I've been here 50 weeks on Wednesday nights this year. I prayed that you'd do this thing for me. You're in my debt. And then when he doesn't meet the thing that you think, you're just fractured, man. You're just off the rails. He's talking about us. Have you an arm like God? No, you can't do the things that I can do. Or can you thunder with a voice like yours? You can't manage the moral government of earth, can you, Job? Then adorn yourself with majesty and plunder. You know what he's saying right there? If you think you can do it, and I don't think he's saying it mean, he's saying take my robe, my judicial robes, take the stuff that I wear, Array yourself with glory and beauty, which we can't. Disperse the rage of your wrath. Look on everyone who is proud and humble him. By the way, as an aside, man, pride is a sneaky thing, isn't it? We can be proud in our humility, proud of how humble we are. Isn't that sick? <laughs> right? You got a lot of people going around, false humility. Oh, man, I'm such a dirty, rotten sinner, man. And they're proud of their humility. Here he says, can you solve the problem of pride in people? You can't. Look on everyone who's proud and bring them low. Can you do that? Tread down the wicked. Can you hide them in the dust, bind their faces in hidden darkness? If you can do that, the Lord says, look at this in verse 14, I will confess to you that your own right hand can save you. Look now, here it comes. I'm not going to run through all of this. He now discusses two, two animals, behemoth, and Leviathan. Now, some people believe that um, behemoth is an elephant or a hippo because it might have had a horn, a land animal, but this means a super beast. And this super beast here, some people believe is the dinosaur because look how big his tail is. His tail's like a cedar. And you could be a Berean about that and think about that. 
But I want you to see something here. What he's saying is, you, could you handle the behemoth? Could you create him? Could you put him on earth? Could you feed him? Could you have him here? And could you make it a, a, a world where he's available to live here? And then look out here in chapter 41. He says, can you draw out Le- a Leviathan, or Leviathan with a hook? And this is some sort of sea animal we know from the Hebrew. And it seems to be that it's a twisting sea animal. So some people believe it's a crocodile. Other people look back in the Psalms and Isaiah and notice that there were sea creatures that we're talking about and believes this is a sea serpent. But it's quite possible that the Leviathan was some sort of dragon. It seems like he's speaking of a dragon. You could read this and think about it. But look at verse 10. This is what I wanted to bring your uh, mind to. No one is so fierce that he would dare stir this one up, this animal. Who then is able to stand against me? If you can't stand before a sea animal, how are you going to be able to stand before me, the Lord's saying, the one who created it? Well, by the way, folks, a lot of people believe that these animals here are, are real and that Job and God are discussing them, but also are symbolic. Many people believe the behemoth represents the world and the earth's system of thinking. Other people believe this Leviathan, because he's a dragon or a serpent, is representative of Satan. You know in the book of Revelation, because we just went through it here, (laughs) that the Lord's going to wipe out the beast and the false prophet and those sorts of things. So you can think about that. But we're going to move on to chapter 42. Check this out. People are jumping up and down. It's been 42 chapters. You guys are troopers. And I know it's getting late, but you don't want to miss this. Then Job answered the Lord in verse chapter 42 and said, I know that you can do everything. See, Job back in chapter 40, God had gotten his attention and he sort of had been silenced. I'm going to shut my mouth. But the Lord still need to do more work in Job. And it's not until chapter 42 that Job now is living in repentance and submission. There's a lot of people who say, yeah, I believe God's who he says he is. But I am not going to, they don't say this, but they just don't do it. I'm not going to lay my will down. I'm not going to submit to him. Watch this. Job answers the Lord and said, I know that you can do everything. You're sovereign. You're omnipotent. And that no purpose of yours can be withheld from you. You asked, who is this who hides counsel? Job's actually quoting God without knowledge. Therefore, I have uttered what I didn't understand. Who hears? Well, listen, do you know some of the things that I first learned when I was a Christian, they were right and true. But the Bible calls us to be right dividers of the word. And there are a lot of things that I did when I was first a Christian that I wasn't real proud of. I said things I didn't even understand. See, as we kind of grow and mature and hear, the more we have a revelation of God and submit our life to God, the more I think we know we don't know everything. Do you get what I'm saying? Lord, I need your help in all things. I need, I'm going out here to talk to a person and counsel a person in something that I've counseled a million times, Lord, but I need your help. 
It must be supernatural. I'm going down to do lawyer work downtown, Lord. My tendency is to think, well, I've been doing this since 1993. You don't really need to be here, Lord. And yet I need him for every hour, every second. Therefore, I've uttered what I didn't understand. Look what he says, things too wonderful for me, which I didn't know. You know, one way you can see and tell that somebody's been submitted or has submitted their life to Christ is they know that they're not a know-it-all. And we got lots of people in the church. I'm not talking about bending on the essentials of Christian doctrine. That's not what I'm talking about at all. But they, you do it this way or I'm leaving. We do it this way, that way. You should do this in this situation. See, just like the friends. See, the problem with, for the friends were, as we're going to see here, God says here in a minute, Job was right, you guys were wrong. And what's really interesting, watch this, is if you weighed all the right things Job said and some of the wrong things Job said, and then you put the scale over here and you see some of the right things that the men said, the friends said, and some of the wrong things, I'm telling you, the scales wouldn't be that unbalanced. And yet God said, watch this, he said to Job, you said what was right and they said what was wrong. What do you think the difference is? Here's what I'm going to tell you. I'm convinced this is the difference. Paul said this. I can talk in tongues. I can have all this kind of knowledge. (laughs) But if I don't have love, I got nothing. These guys just wanted to force feed them. Little sermonettes pat him on the head and make him do what they thought was the right thing. Job, even though he was making mistakes, wanted to directly bring his problems to God and find out from God. That was admirable. And Job must have loved where the three friends were real clinical about their Christianity or their following of God. I guess it wasn't Christianity at the time. Their following of God. How do I know that? Because about what, what we're about ready to read, we'll finish. Things too wonderful for me. Listen, please, and let me speak. Verse 4, you said, I will question you, you will answer me. I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see you. Therefore, I abhor myself. Now, don't get freaked out right there. That word isn't self-hatred like. What he's saying right there is, I retract everything I've ever said, Lord. I was wrong. That's what he's saying in the Greek. And I repent in dust and ashes. See, he knew to repent before. But the Lord took him through all of this stuff where he didn't just know it intellectually anymore. Yes, he still knew it intellectually, but he knew it down in here, in his gut. He knew he had to live in a state of repentance, giving God all his glory and due, D-U-E. And so it was, after the Lord had spoken these words to Job, that the Lord said to Eliphaz, the Temanite, one of the friends, my wrath is aroused against you and your two friends, for you haven't spoken of me what is right, as my servant Job has. I think it's because of love. Hold on. Now, therefore, take for yourselves seven bulls and seven rams. Go to my servant Job and offer up for yourselves a burnt offering. Isn't that fascinating? The oldest book of the Bible says there must be a sacrifice in order for you to come back to me. And there must be an intercessor. Job's going to pray for you, he tells them. Now, that's fascinating. How do I know? One is one of the tests that you're submitted to God, that you're a lover of people. Now, time out. But not just people that love you or have been nice to you. Here he says, oh, and by the way, my servant Job is going to pray for you. Can you imagine if you were Job after having to wrestle with these clowns for all these months and the Lord turning around and said, I want you to pray for them. And Lord Job said, Okay, I will. Why? Why? Because he was submitted to the Lord, and that's where the Lord can work. Jesus told us 
Love your enemies. Don't just love people that love you. Love your enemies. When they revile and persecute you, count it as joyful stuff because you're working for the kingdom and your reward is great. Here he prays. I'll accept him. How do I know that Job submitted? He loves people who've been bad to him. We don't even like to talk about it very much. Here he says, I don't care if you're Republican, Democrat, Tea Party, you love masks, you hate masks, you like vaccines, you hate vaccines, I don't care, whatever. Pray for them. He says, okay, of course I would. I'm submitted to you now, Lord. I'll do it. I'm not even going to question. I'll do it. For I'll accept him lest I deal with you according to your folly because you have not spoken of me what is right as my servant Job have. It's love, folks. It's love. You can speak into people's lives, but you're going to be a clanging gong if you have no love. Should I still speak truth? Yes, with love. Should I speak love and not truth? No, love with truth, love and truth, truth and love. So Eliphaz, verse 9, and the Temanite and Bildad and Zophar, the Namanite, went and did as the Lord commanded them, for the Lord had accepted Job, and the Lord restored Job's losses when he prayed for his friends. You kidding me? (laughs) I'm not saying if you'll just follow this formula, everything will be right in your life like it ended up with Job. But see, when you repent in the ashes and you've submitted everything, including your love for enemies, and you'll pray for people, you have a heavenly perspective, that's when the Lord can release his grace and mercy. And the Lord restored his losses when he prayed for his friends. Isn't that incredible? Indeed, the Lord gave twice as much as he had before. All his brothers, all his sisters, and all those who had been his acquaintances before came to him and ate food with him in his house. They consoled him, comforted him for all the adversity that the Lord had given. Each one gave him a piece of silver and each a ring of gold. Verse 12. Now the Lord blessed the latter days of Job more than his beginning, for he had 14,000 sheep. Guess how many sheep he had at the beginning? 7,000. He had 6,000 camels. Guess how many camels he had at the beginning? 3,000. I can even do this math. 1,000 yoke of oxen. Guess how many at the beginning? 500. 1,000 female donkeys. Guess how many at the beginning? 500. He also had seven sons and three daughters. You say, wait a minute, he didn't give double. Oh, yes, he did. Because those ones are in heaven, are in heaven, and they're still his. You get it? This guy's got a, it's a heavenly perspective. Mine are tucked away in heaven. Seven sons, three daughters. Now I have seven more sons and three daughters. He's multiplied, and he called the name of the first Jemima, and the name of the second Keziah, and the name of the third Karen Hapik. In all the land were found no women so beautiful as the daughter of Job, and their father gave them an inheritance among their brothers. This is the oldest book of the Bible. And you see there that there's no distinction between male and female in the Lord. Galatians 3.28. Right there it is. After this, Job lived 140 years and saw his children and grandchildren for four generations. So Job died old and full of days. Now you've finished, Job. I want you to see something. One commentator, his name is Chris Ash, says this, there's such a thing in the universe as suffering that is not a punishment for the sin of the sufferer. Did you catch that? There's such a thing in the universe as suffering that is not a punishment for the sin of the sufferer. Jesus is the ultimate believer who suffered without having done anything wrong. You catch that? And Jesus, in that suffering, listen, he didn't do anything wrong, just like Job didn't do anything wrong. Jesus fulfills the drama and the longings of Job for justification. Because Job just kept saying, I want to be justified, I want to be justified, I want justice, I want justice, I want justice. Jesus is the ultimate. 
One final thing, turn with me to James 5 and we'll pray. James chapter 5, verse 11. (laughs) There we are. Can we say this and believe this and know this and grow in this? Indeed, we count them blessed who endure. You have heard of the perseverance of Job and seen the end intended by the Lord. Watch this. That the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. See, we shouldn't say and dare not say that the book of Job shows God is harsh and punitive. The Bible says even the book of Job and his story shows the mercy and compassion of God. In order to say that, you've got to think one thing, or, or, or you've got to think this, that God wants us to set our minds on things above and that we're not just in here for a paycheck and a white picket fence and, 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 and uh, vacations. We're here in a battle that's raging for the souls of men and women, boys and girls, and he's called, look at this, you. And he wants people to come into heaven, walking by faith, not by sight. And when you get there, just like the souls who fell down at the altar, you know what you're going to say? His judgments, all of them, are righteous and true. Let's pray. Well, Lord, help us to understand a lifetime of understanding of what you're saying to us in the book of Job. It's not an outline, Lord, but Lord, it is powerful. And really, Lord, it's practical, helping us to trust you, your mercy and compassion, even in the middle of difficult circumstances. Lord, help us to grow here. Help us to see a full revelation of you in your word by the Spirit so that we can live and you can use our lives, Lord, to help bring many into the kingdom. Of course, you do the work. We're just the vessels. But Lord, here we are saying, use us. Send us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.